Hi, and welcome to Blissful Spinster. This week's guest is Oscar-winning producer Mike Metavoy. Mike lives in Los Angeles and has a producing career spanning six decades with over 300 films he's worked on. He started in the mailroom at Universal Studios in the 60s and working his way up through the executive ranks, eventually became the senior vice president of United Artists in the mid-70s, a co-founder of Orion Pictures in the late 70s, chairman of TriStar Pictures in the early 90s, and eventually he co-founded his own production company, Phoenix pictures in 1995 and that company is still around today. To name a few films that he's had a hand in shepherding into existence, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Rocky, Apocalypse Now, Network, Platoon, Science of the Lambs, Philadelphia, The Thin Red Line, Black Swan, and Shutter Island. What a career. With such a prolific career, you can imagine my surprise when Mike responded to my DM and Twitter and I'll admit I was fangirling a bit out and a bit nervous during our chat but Mike was super open and insightful. I think the thing that most impressed me about our conversation was how much Mike values the teamwork it takes to get a feature film made and how he wouldn't take sole credit for just about anything he worked on. However you found this podcast, thank you for tuning in and please enjoy this week's episode. First, I just want to thank you for doing this. You're someone I really respect and I've known about since I was really little, actually. Um, Cuckoo's Nest was something that was on my radar in the... I didn't watch it till the 80s because I was really little in the 70s. <laughs> um, but, but I was always fascinated that Michael Douglas had been a producer, and then I looked up the other producer and that kind of. So thank you for responding to my tweet. And yeah, agreeing no, it's my it. pleasure. So the first thing, I was curious about your beginnings, because I, I actually, m- much like you, other, I wasn't a refugee from a war, and that's a really yeah. spectacular You're born in Mexico, that. right? Yeah, no, I was born in New Hampshire, but moved there when I was one. Okay. And I grew up there until I was 19. And I think that shapes someone a little differently. And I, I was just curious what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I think if, the more experience you get in life, no matter where and how, the more it allows you to expand and think somewhat differently. I lived in China till I was eight and then lived in Chile till I was 17 or late 16s. It forced me to think of the world as not only any regular American. I, I was in the Army. I was. I became a citizen in 63, I think. And I'm an immigrant, like a lot of people are. You, on the other hand, were born here. But I, being an immigrant, a Russian Jew from China, made me distinctly different. So were you in Chile during Pinochet then? You know what? I was not there during Pinochet, okay. but I did go there once with Haskell Wexler. Okay. Is that name familiar to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was there with Haskell and another man who who was a photographer too. And we were there actually because they wanted to do a documentary about the Brazilian prisoners that had been had come to Chile. And that was an interesting period. It was this it was a Actually, I don't remember the exact year, but I remember that it was the first time that I'd been back to Chile. And of course, I did this movie in Chile after that. The whole idea was eventually I wanted to go back to all the places that I'd been at one time or another. And Chile was one, and of course, I did this movie in Chile, the 33. And then, of course, I wanted to do something in China. I've continued to figure out there's a interesting way of really going back to the places that you grew up in. And that's basically, you know, what I'm doing. I've been working on a book about my parents 
in their lives in Shanghai. And I took them back, actually. I took my father back to Shanghai. What was that uh, like for him? It was an interesting story because I was on the Wampo River, which is the river that's facing the embankment. And I noticed that he was crying. And I said, Dad, why are you crying? And he said, he said, I didn't want to come. He said, I, I felt that all of the beautiful memories I had would be gone. But I'm really happy I did. And it's, these are tears of joy. And so that was great. Well, that's really nice. I, when I was, I want to say I was eight or nine. I don't know how much you've been to Mexico City at all, but they used to film a lot of movies. Yeah, I've been there. there. Yeah. yeah. The neighborhood I lived in, there was a house they filmed a lot in and they filmed Missing there. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking, yeah, yeah. and uh, Costa, I ran into Jack Costa, Costa Gravas. Yeah, Costa Gravas, and I yeah. ran into Jack Lemon. He was coming out of the set when I was walking. Yeah, down the street, yeah. and what a um, sweetheart he was. Yeah, they uh, that house was the embassy in Missing, uh-huh. which I much later watched it and realized, oh, that's yeah. what they shot there. <laughs> yeah. But I would sneak on the sets there at that house yeah. growing up. How much? Because I and I've heard you talk a little bit about it in the book which I haven't gotten all the way through, but I'm listening to it on my walks. But the industry obviously has changed quite a bit since you started. Can you walk me through what you think the major, like to a producer like you who seems that you're drawn to material and want to support the artists? I I don't know how much of, you're like cut from a different cloth (laughs) to some of the producers I've met. The business continues to change, even though some of the things have to be the same. The cameras... You got a camera, you got actors, Yeah. you got the script, you got people. But if you think about it, if I think about United Artists, United Artists was formed by Kaplan, D.W. Griffin, what's her name, Mary Pickford. There were four of them, and they were basically a distribution company. And they let everybody do their thing. You made a movie, got the money, financed it, put it through their distribution apparatus. Then in 1950, they sold the company to Krim and Benjamin and the group. And uh, that part of it didn't change. They continued to do that. And so they were very artist-centric. That didn't mean that they would let them run roughshod, because they didn't. There was, they had to adhere to the budget that they agreed to, that they signed to. So every company that I was a part of, basically, I ran that way. I was artist-friendly. The... Uh, me. The, that was true at TriStar. It's been true at Phoenix. I am who I am. I'm not. I'm not saying that I can't learn new tricks because I have. But it's the big difference now. I think is that is the uh, streaming platforms. Everybody's got a streaming platform because, for all intents and purposes, the idea of video or even video on demand or those have all declined. And networks, even excuse me, national networks are tired. You can tell. Like CBS, NBC, ABC are are somewhat different. They're different because the concentration now is on... You can make a movie. It doesn't have to look like a 70-millimeter presentation. And I think that's there's something wrong with that. I would prefer having a larger format and larger theaters. But... You know, what I want and what's realistic is not necessarily... Do you think the... Because what's mostly put out 
from the studios that I see and most people see, and we hear the arguments, the superhero or the... Yeah, it's Marvel, the Marvel Universe. Yeah. They call it the Marvel Universe. I don't know how long that will be going. Maybe maybe I will be around, maybe I won't be around, but but you can only eat so much sugar or any other thing that you just keep doing over and over again. It gets tiring. And somebody's going to come up with something different. And I love some of the older movies. I pay attention to them. There was something interesting about some of these films. Well, yeah, even like that event at the Big Chill. I don't think I'd watched it since it came out. Yeah. I actually wrote a paper about it in high school because we watched it for a film class I took. Yeah. But I'm watching it and it resonated on such a different level with me because now I'm 51, yeah. but also I've lived a life and I know where yeah. those characters are in their life too. And it was so well written yeah. as well. No, he's a very talented guy. As I said that that night, I remember I've turned down a lot of really good movies, and that was one of them. And some of them, I had them in the grasp of my hands, and I could have said yes, but didn't. You can't bat a thousand. If you can bat three thirty-three, that would be great. You'd yeah. be in the Hall of Fame. Also, you have seven Oscars. <laughs> I think you're batting pretty well, right? Yeah, all these things that yeah. you see in the back—they're all nominated movies. And <clears throat> look. Every single one of them, as I said that night, requires a lot of people. Doesn't, you know, what? It's never only about me, because you know that it's pretty stupid. Yeah, I think that we can do everything. There's actors, there's writers, there's directors, there's producers, yeah. cinematographers, you name it. Yeah, it's a definitely a collaborative art form. I studied theater before coming to film, so yeah, technical theater. Yeah. What I loved was I heard you say a line, and I'm going to paraphrase because I was walking and I stopped to write it down, you, it, which it goes to this point. Hollywood is a dream factory. The dreams are the making of the films, and what it took to make it were the nightmares or something. It was something like that you said in there. And I really loved that because it, it yeah. really resonated because right now I'm in that. Although I wouldn't call it a nightmare, I call it my learning stage to getting the film off the ground. Every mm -hmm. time I... I have a moment where I think I'm going to get my development funds and it goes away because somebody's wife is divorcing them and locked up their financing, which actually <laughs> happened literally a month ago to me. Yeah. But it, it all makes me better and it all makes me the foundation stronger. Yeah. And in that you're, so you've been on both sides, the side of trying to package things and trying to get a green light and been the green lighter. Can you kind of, what is that like? And well, what I, advice I you have I preferred being the green lighter. It's pretty simple because then I don't have to ask anybody for anything. Just go ahead and do it. So that's always better. If you don't do that, and I I did that for, hang on a second. So there's four years at UA, I think 16 or 17 years at Orion, four years at TriStar. And I, and at, at Phoenix, for the first, I think, eight years, I didn't have to ask anybody anything. I've done it for a long time. What did you enjoy most about that? Was it getting to support those artists and see something? Yeah, it's getting, it's saying, I know what this is going to look like. I know that it's, we're going to find a way to sell it. And I love seeing it from beginning to end play out. Invariably, you run into interference from whether it's the filmmaker or the studio or from it's none of it 
None of it is great. And then it, it either becomes a hit, Black Swan became a big hit, or it doesn't. And you take the... It's it, What was interesting the other day is I got... Somebody saw a movie that I did at, at, at Phoenix called Dick. I don't know if you know the movie or not. I remember the movie. I don't think I saw it, but I remember the name. But it was, it's been rediscovered. Yeah. And I'm going to have to go watch it. It's, what's interesting about the movie is it's these two girls get hired to be the White House dog walkers. Mm-hmm. And they run into the Nixon tapes. Okay. That's essentially it. Yeah, it's comedy. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, it gets rediscovered. I don't know. It must be at least twenty-five years ago. Twenty years ago. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go back and watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that sounds fun. And that gets to you. You strike me as someone from looking at like Philadelphia or their social movements that you seem to want to make sure that no i don't i don't look at it that way okay i don't it's it's i like the idea of having something that it says but i don't know about social movements i love philadelphia it made me Mm -hmm. cry yeah and i love that but equally i like 2001 i like apocalypse now Cuckoo's Nest, as you probably yeah. figured out, films that are extraordinarily well made, that have a story to tell, and that you will remember 10 years from now. You said something about, in the book, that you were, if you had one talent, it was to spot talent. Yeah. Can you talk about that a bit? And what you, like, what is it that you see when a Martin Scorsese or someone like that walks in or speed? Well, part of it is sometimes I see their work, which... Sometimes I talk to them, I can feel it, you know, and hope that I'm right. Everybody can talk a good game or can talk, not necessarily do a good game, but talk it. I'm, I think I'm good at spotting it, but I've also been wrong. Is that important to, because I've heard this before, and I'm, I live this way quite a bit, is to know what you don't know or to know when to ask or to know when you're, you need to learn something? That I think is important. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just remember you don't know everything. Yeah. You know, and you should learn. I I hear a lot of things in this business all the time. Get people that are selling something. I'm very aware of sales. Somebody trying to sell me something. And I I have to put that into the test. Are you just trying to sell me something that you believe in? Or are you really just trying to sell me something, period? I'm not an eager buyer on those occasions. You mentioned ageism a little bit in your speech. Yeah, we all know that there's ageism. And then there has been ageism in Hollywood for years. It's not something new. And that was the case, I think, with Arthur Krim and Yue, and there was the case, I think, with Arthur and Orion. And you can feel it. People feel it. As I get older, not that people look at me as an old guy, because I think... Maybe not. Let me be wrong. But I think they are less inclined to think I'm too old. But I don't know. Who knows? And in in a way, I go, hey, who cares? I really don't care. I'm, I've done this body of work. And that's why I said that evening, the important thing is not the, the important thing is what you do for others and the work that you do. Because that's the only thing that remains. Everything else is 
gone. Yeah, I was struck that you said somewhere in your book that you didn't, you for the longest time didn't even take a credit on a film. Yes. Which made me smile because it is about the work and it is about those. I didn't take a credit on the Thin Red Line. Yeah. The company got the credit, but yeah. But I didn't take the credit. That's it is like the script to me is always a conversation between me and the other artists. Yeah. It's not a finished product, it's a living product, but it's also when I fight start to write it, I have to think of all those other artists that are reading it and make sure yeah. that I'm communicating with them, I'm talking to them through my yeah. script, right? Exactly. And also I was also struck by I think you had a section in there about the mailroom and then also about all the really fantastic directors that you ended up repping as their agent mm-hmm. that you then brought along and yeah. rise up. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think networking laterally is such an important Yeah, yeah. It definitely is. The people that you meet along the way, you recognize they're talented and you can help them get to the next step. That's great. And look, throughout it, I made a bunch of mistakes, in part having to do with my own pride, probably. It's like my I, my decision to move to a studio was largely <clears throat> because as an agent, when you represent somebody, you get your 10%, and you're treated as though you're a 10 percenter. And I didn't particularly like that. In some instances, I did more than 10%, because without me, that wouldn't have gotten done. So that's the basis. Do you have any advice or insight that you might want to impart to the listeners of the podcast, the young filmmakers coming up? Do it if you love it. That's If this is what your passion is, just keep going at it and know what you want. It's another thing. Okay. Yeah. If you want it, go after it. It's not... You have to feed yourself, obviously, so you have to work. Yeah. No, I've, uh, I worked in a true crime doc series for my day job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm trying to get the film made. Good. But you learn so much. I've learned so much working on the doc side. Yeah. I love docs anyway. Yeah. Well, I was wondering why you don't have a doc. My new passion. Yeah. You mean yeah. a doc about me or about... Yeah, about you and your journey. I'm writing this third book, but... Yeah. Somebody wants to do a doc, actually, about me, and uh, they're going to come in from England and talk to me about it. I'll be, I'll be interested to see. I told them that I wouldn't do one that it was purely about me because I wanted to say make that statement, which is, hey, it's not about me. It's about the work. Yeah. And if it's about the work, I'm interested. Because then it says, okay, this is you leave this to other people because then you, you say, hey, you, this is about your work. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I was just, because I've, like, there's a doc that Alan Ladd Jr.'s daughter did. That's yeah. That's cool. And there was, because he yeah. was another one who championed artists quite a bit, I think. Yeah, no, Alan Laddie, as everybody knew him. Yeah. You know, he's a, he, he was a really sweet guy, very internalized. And I think it may have something to do with his father and mother and the relationship. But it was it was interesting. There was, There he was at a studio in which a father-son relationship was at the forefront of that studio. Zanuck. Yeah. It was Daryl Zanuck that gave Dick Zanuck his his wings. And I can't imagine what it must have been like, but he was great. All right, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. That's it. That's all you got. (laughs) 
thank you so much for tuning in to Blissful Spinster. If any of these conversations are resonating with you, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Blissful Spinster on Instagram and Twitter and through our website, blissfulspinster.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me on this journey. And until next week, go find your happy.